Welcome to Let's Get Lit, a book club podcast with a twist. This week, we are reading Hillbilly Elegy by J.D. Vance, and we're back here with your girl Brandy and your woman star. That's right. I'm just a girl, not yet a woman. (laughs) All you need is time and a moment that's mine. Yeah. That's yours? Yeah. Mine. 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 While I'm in between. Okay, so we're already singing, so we're off to a great start. Um, We read the book, but I feel like we should point out that we read it a minute ago. It's been a little while. It's been a little while. We We couldn't find time to to cast. We couldn't, and it's really really disappointing, but I just do want to say that we got together, I want to say, two weeks ago, and... We're all ready to cast, and then we didn't, and we did nothing productive at all, but we had, like, all the podcasting equipment out, and we just read the book, and it was fresh in my mind, and I couldn't wait to dive in, and now I'm like, what was this book about? You're right. We need to be better at life. We should just be better, period. You know what would be great is if we could quit our full-time jobs and just, like, lounge by the pool, read books, drink drinks... And cast casts. Cast the casts. Yeah, well, I mean, we did that for part of today. And so I don't know what our drink was supposed to be this week, but it ended up being just kind of day drinking whatever I could find around the house, which feels very hillbilly-esque. It suits hillbilly elegy, I think. Yeah, it's like, hey, what do we have left with alcohol content? I drank rosé with ice cubes. You drank (laughs) rosé all day. Rosé. Yeah, but it was actually decent rosé with yeah, ice cubes. So I mean, the ice cubes, I don't know if they make it better or worse, but it's hot as balls today. It's like yeah. 95 degrees out. It in was. Fahrenheit. <laughs> in Fahrenheit. <laughs> that reminds me, do you remember that 98 Degrees album where like the intro to one of the albums was, it is 98 degrees Fahrenheit and rising. I actually do remember that now that you said it, but if you had not said that, I would have never in a million years been able to say that. Okay, well, we are drunk, we are toasty, it's going to be a great episode. degrees and rising. rising. Okay, so like, this book, how do you feel about it? I love this book. I think that I said that multiple times, that this book is a favorite of mine. I think that it... It helps me feel a little bit better about this political climate that I find, like, very depressing. Why does it make you feel better? I think it just kind of helps me to understand people that my default was to, like, dislike. And I don't know if it made me like them more or anything, but it, like, humanized them Mm -hmm. for me in a way where I was like, okay, like, you know... You know how when they remake those Disney movies and they give you, like, the backstory of the villain and you're like... Okay, like, I you're can like, see why... I actually kind of get it. Like, and in Maleficent, where you're like, oh, you got, like, basically, like, raped for your cool wings, and, like, men are the worst. Which, like, I get it. Classic. I know. Man. So, but then it made you be, like, more sympathetic to Maleficent, sure. right? And I think that's how I feel about... So, basically, you're saying hillbillies are Maleficent. No, that's not what I'm saying. But... Kind of along that vein. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of. I will say, like, humanize, I think, is the right word. It is interesting. I was expecting this book to be a lot more boring than it was, just because when you read, like, the cover, it all 
is talking about, oh, learning more about this group of people. And I think the word sociopolitical is thrown in there. And I was like, cool, cool, a book I should read and I'm going to hate reading. But it really focused on the specific person, his family and his experiences. And like you said, just really humanized those people. And Mm -hmm. in a way where you, I mean, they're not characters, right? Because they're real people. But you did feel empathy for them and you could relate to them and like root for them and I definitely cared about all of the people in the book which then helps when you're thinking about oh typically these are people that I don't want to say like I make fun of but you just think of as other like they're different from us they're not the same as us and to be able to relate to them is only going to help us understand why people fucking voted for Trump (laughs) (laughs) clearly I got a lot out of it time has passed (laughs) Yes. I f- so I actually feel like I read this book for the first time like prior to the Trump election. Yeah. I think it was written prior to the Trump election, wasn't it? Or no? Mm, maybe not. I feel like it I'm trying I, to remember where I was working at the time. I know that when it came out, it was right when Trump was happening and so a lot yeah. of the like reviews surrounding it were this is helping us understand how Trump happened yeah. or why. And all of these people who thought looking at the polls and their conception of what the U.S. looked like, here are all of the people that everyone forgets about. And we just assume these are, you know, these dumb hillbillies, but actually we're going to tell their story and give you some insight into, you know, these people have real reasons for believing what they believe and for voting the way they vote. And apparently we should get out of our ivory towers, but it's lovely up here. So the book came out in June, 2016, like six months before. So the prime election. time. Yeah. And I feel like I read it like in the heat of all that election. So did you, theory. after reading it, did you feel like Trump's going to win? I felt like Trump was going to win prior to that. And this yeah. like solidified that for me. But part of the reason was because, I spent a lot of time in like more rural places for my job. Like Mm. even though we're in California, there's still a lot of rural places in California. It's like primarily rural geography wise. It's just like most people live in cities. Yeah. And as I was driving through, it was like there was Trump signs, billboards, like stuff everywhere. Like you saw it Mm -hmm. everywhere. And I, and then you'd come back to like San Francisco or Oakland and people would be like, there's no chance. Like nobody takes him seriously. And I'm like, but, People People do, do. just not here. People do, but it seems so ridiculous here that you're not even giving it credit, which made me worried because then you talk to those people who are like, I don't care for Hillary and I don't like Trump and I'm just not going to vote either way, like assuming Hillary was going to win. And I think that like that, that gave me like pause. And then I read this book around that time and I was like, I can understand why a lot of parts of America feel like so ignored by our political system. Yeah. Like that part I can totally understand because I think that it's easy to like, you know, when you don't see the benefits necessarily of a functional government or when your government has been like functional for a long time and you don't see what it looks like when it's not like Mm -hmm. those two ends of the same, you know, paradigm. I don't think people care so much about, or I don't know. I don't think that they like an appreciate a functioning government. Yeah. I also think, I mean, initially I didn't think Trump was going to win just because I felt like, oh, well, most of the population actually lives in these places. 
where everyone's saying we think he's ridiculous, but then obviously you have to take into account, you know, electoral college. It's not how things actually work. But it is something where I still had this incorrect assumption that places like Pennsylvania and Ohio, I just thought of them as, oh, well, they're more moderate. They're swing states, so it can go either way. And what I didn't take into account was so much of what they talk about in this book, which is a lot of the people that live in some of these places who previously lived in like Appalachia or like Mm -hmm. some of these more conservative rural areas where they are actually make up a big part of a lot of those states right now too. Mm -hmm. And Trump did to your point, appeal to a lot of those people who felt like they had been ignored by the political system and they didn't see it working for them. They don't feel like their tax dollars come back in, in any way kind of reward them or benefit them. They talk about a lot in this book how there's this mindset in some of these areas of like almost like you're a fool if you're you work hard and like yeah. you're stupid because you can just collect a welfare check and like then you live like high off the hog because yeah. you are like making isn't money it on high it? on the hog. Isn't it off? High on the hog. It's probably high on the hog. I don't know. It's been a while since I read this book, okay? I guess I'm just not a hillbilly. But, you know, just that mindset of like, you, you know, we hear certain things and we think some of these benefits are beneficial. And that's not to say that they aren't, but some people, the way that they experience them in day to day life gives them this different perception than we have. And we didn't take that into account, obviously. Apparently, people say both high on the hog and high Does off the hog. Does it say, like, why? Um, like, is it like, oh, in certain parts of the country, people ha- tend to say one or the other? It says, high on the hog is an allusion to the best and costliest cuts of meat from the hog. And high off the hog is, like, probably smoking out of a hog. <laughs> um, I don't know. It says the same thing. It says, to prosper or otherwise live very well. It refers to the rich being able to afford the sh- choicest cut of meat, which from a pig is higher up on the animal both high on and high off mean the same thing in this context well way to just we try to pick a fight with me and then all of our listeners a valuable lesson yeah in and you know what that lesson is <laughs> that lesson is you can see things a little differently and both be right bam and cast and cast hillbilly elegy you taught us everything um but i yeah, should I don't we, know. Should we give like a little bit of... I feel like if you haven't read the book, I recommend it. But for the sake of this particular episode, it might be good to kind of explain a little bit of his premise. Sure, go for it, Brand. Okay, so fill in my gaps here. But okay. basically, J.D. Vance is from Appalachian country. And he... The book is about him and his family, but it's also about like the migration of people from... It's like Irish Catholic, isn't it? <coughs> Irish Catholic. Isn't was that like it? where they're originally from? Maybe. I don't remember that part. Oh, well, it was, I'm pretty sure it was talking about people who are who like live in Appalachia, like were originally like Irish. I thought what? that was like this is going to seem like I'm splitting hairs, but I thought it was like Scottish Irish descent. Maybe. Oh, the Scot. Yeah, you're right. I mean, again, I don't know how much that changes anything because I think your point remains the same. I just was confused by the Catholic thing. No, yeah, there's Scotch-Irish. Scotch-Irish 
they're descendants of Protestants during the 18th and 19th century. So anyway. Trying to come at me with religious history like I didn't go to Catholic school. I'm bad at this kind of stuff. So... Oh, I'm just going to look at this because I feel like maybe this is going to describe it Be better. Be more than, accurate Yeah, than because us. I feel like I'm going to try to like get into this. It gets really confusing. But essentially, like they migrated from the Atlantic to North America. They were pushed out by like a bunch of discrimination in Ireland because they were um, Puritans or Presbyterians or something like Not that. Not fucking Catholic. They weren't Irish Catholic. Yes. And... As they, like, came to North America, they were kind of, like, not really accepted there either. So they got pushed out into these communities in Appalachia. And they were able to survive there pretty well because the landscape was relatively similar to what they were used to. There was, like, Mm -hmm. farming communities. They, like, were able to thrive, essentially, in those places. And when they weren't able to thrive, they just kind of moved. Yeah. But it was relatively lawless. They um, kind of, like, made their own rules and, like didn't have, like, much of a structural government because the government, like, didn't support, like, that area. It was pretty rural. And so it was, like, family before everything else. Like, people valued family more than they valued anything else because you needed to look after, like, your tribe. And people also happened to have a fuck ton of kids. And Mm -hmm. so it was, like, that's how it worked. But it was also, like, very tribal. And there's the the kind of, like, famous story of the McCoys and... Hatfields Hatfields and and McCoys. And, like the feuds that they got into between these big families um, about, like, territory or, like, trade or whatever the fuck it was. And, like, as a result, like, these people have lived in the same area for a really, really long time, and they still kind of have a lot of that same mentality of feeling, like, not trustworthy of government and, like, fiercely independent. Mm -hmm. And as, like, the jobs started going away, like, it became it became like less and less like they were reliant on like moving and seeking work. And they just kind of like had a new history, which was that their families had been in this place forever. When reality, like their families had moved a gazillion times. times It's just like several generations had been in this place. So it became like the place that people stayed rather than moving anywhere else. And some people moved like up into Ohio and like Pennsylvania, like Mm -hmm. you said, but like they all came from the Appalachian came with that like mindset. And so from haulers in Kentucky, Yes. Oh, that's right. Are you going to fill in my blanks here? I I feel like I'm filling in the key ones. You are filling in the key ones. It's also interesting because they were talking about at one point, like most people who still live in Kentucky and by most, I think he actually went so far as to say every single person is a descendant from either the Hatfields or the McCoys. And so that's like such a part of their like storyline too, is mm-hmm. like that family like that blood feud too which explains a lot yeah (laughs) (laughs) when you when you're a descendant of a blood feud i guess it yeah i mean i just feel like in in you know the well they also they actually talked about the fact too that there is i don't want to say like inbreeding but it's like there were only so many people there like a lot of until a lot of them started moving, it was like the same people had always been there. It's not like new people came to these areas, right? Mm-hmm. Which is where like a lot of those kind of um, stereotypes come from is like people saying like, oh, people inbred in those areas, which not really fair. There's not a lot of options. 
I mean, I guess. Until they all took off and went to Ohio to trying to find jobs. I feel like in one of our first episodes, you shit on Ohio a lot. And so, like, here we are. Back in Ohio. Back in Ohio. What was it? It was Cleveland specifically, I think, that you had a blood feud with. Brandy in Cleveland, basically the Hatfields and McCoys. Unfair for me to say (laughs) that... I have a like a blood feud with Ohio, but I will say Ohio has disappointed me politically. <laughs> yeah. I will say also, like, I I mean, I've briefly been to Ohio, but I go to Pennsylvania more often than I mean to. And I'm always struck by, like, huh, this is what Pennsylvania is like. Because, again, I always think of it as being a little bit more metropolitan than it is. But I'm always struck by the fact like yeah West Virginia is right there like there's definitely like such a mix of people where it's like people who've been in Pennsylvania a long time and people that have you know come from other areas and it's just it seems like two competing cultures in the same place which I guess is why places like that are swing states because they think so differently but I also think like one of the like challenging things about trying to paint like a broad swath of a population with you know the same brush brush is like from the outside when you're looking at these places it seems like you know you think about West Virginia and you're just like oh it's like a bunch of fucking backwoods folks like with coal mines everywhere and like you know and they don't take care of themselves and whatever Mm -hmm. but like I think that if we were to look at West Virginia as like another country what we would probably think of them as is like a people that has been, like, completely fucked by their government. Yeah. And had, like, terrible education systems, terrible public health systems, like, bad public policy. They've been totally taken advantage of by industry. Like, these coal mines have, like, polluted their groundwater. They're, like, killing their livestock. Mm -hmm. They're polluting, like, the air. Like, it's... I mean, it's fucked. And they're the only source of jobs in those places, so they can pay them basically nothing to have, like, these very, very dangerous jobs... And they, like, completely strip all the natural resources, like, ruin this, like, very, very beautiful place. Like, West Virginia is gorgeous. Yeah. It's a really beautiful place. But, like, because it's part of our country and we assume when we live in, like, a relatively privileged part of the country, mm-hmm. we're, like, you can just, like, deal with your government that way. But... Yeah, we don't think about the places where basically it's, like, where the government dumps its trash, right? Yeah. Or, like... They go make money off the backs of the people there, and then you see it in, you know, the coastal places or the bigger cities where, you know, people that own those companies live. But it is something where it it is helpful to, like, read from someone's point of view, too, where it's actually giving you the perspective of, like, so this is what it's actually like to live here, and, like, how can you say someone is ignorant or stupid when this is their life experience it would be pretty stupid to just say oh well this is what I see every day of my life but I'm gonna believe something different it's like that would make less sense yeah than someone being like oh well it might be different somewhere else but what I see and experience every day tells me the opposite so I'm probably going to believe the opposite and like yeah I mean I don't know what the answer is it is frustrating I think because a lot of these like people like Trump I'm like they don't 
he doesn't care about these people, right? Like, no. it's like, I do think part of it is like that outsider of someone coming in that's like, I'm going to do things differently or I am not, like, I'm someone that has money. So, like, I can't be bought by these corporations that have caused all of these problems. In reality, but like, he has all of his money because he can be bought. Yeah, it, but... So I don't know. Reading this book, I didn't feel like I had a better sense of like, oh, this is how Trump happened. But I did feel like it opened my like candy ass liberal eyes a little bit more of like, oh, this is what life is like for a lot of other people. And it's really fucking ignorant of me to assume that I know what's better for these people when I don't know what it's like to walk in their shoes. I think that the part of it for me that made me more like understanding of of how Trump got to where he is, is that there's like parts in that book where he, JD Vance talks about how like the rise of politicians that are just kind of like, say it how it is politicians. Like people felt like, like they saw themselves reflected in that. And I think that, yeah. And I think that what they saw like rightfully did reflect their experience. Like they're people who are basically straight shooters you like talk shit to them. They're going to talk shit right back. Like mm-hmm. they don't care if you have a, you know, robust vocabulary. Like they make fun of people all the time. They like, that's like how they interact with people. But he like speaks a lot to the point that there's like this hillbilly justice. Like there's an honor code that exists within that population of people where like all of these things happen. Like you talk shit all the time. You fucking like, go and slash people's tires and like whatever like Mm -hmm. things that whatever as you do well things that like people like you know people who live like a different life are appalled by and can't imagine how you could do that but it's all functioning within this kind of honor system that his you know what is it Mima teaches him about which is like you know you should never start a fight but like if you're in a fight you better fucking win mm-hmm. and like it was never start a fight but always finish it yeah great which is <laughs> great life advice <laughs> yeah well and then and then it was like except for if someone's like getting picked on in that case like go beat the shit out of the bully yeah you know and so there's like these exceptions or like if somebody says something bad about your mom then you can like pick a fight with them like there's rules that, like, it makes sense for them. And so I think, like, when they saw people like Trump or Newt Gingrich or whatever, yeah, they assume that because outwardly they're acting the same way that they act, that they also will abide by this same, same like, kind of justice implied system. rules. Exactly. And I think, like, the fucked part of it is that they don't follow any rules. Yeah. Like, they follow a rule of them first. And... Well, and honestly, something where I'm, like, the things that these people are saying they're making fun of you too. Like they're like, Oh, I'm just, I'm talking like these other people talk, but they're not like these other people. They've got tons of money. They don't relate to them. They're just like, look, if I talk like them, then they'll trust me. And I don't give a shit about them. Like that's, I think the part that always gets me is I'm like, don't you see that these people don't care about you? But like, I don't think they feel like other politicians care about them either. I mean, it's hard to say, like, if a politician actually does care about you or if they're just good at being a politician. Like, I get that. Mm-hmm. Even now, like, when we're looking at all of the Democrats that are in the race right now, and obviously I intend to vote Democratic or vote Democrat, I have, like, I'm, like, looking at all these people who are in the race, and I'm like, 
which one of these people do I actually trust? Because right now it seems like they're all just trying to beat each other and yeah. not like trying to be honest with their constituents. Well, you know? but that's, I mean, I think it's hard too because I've, I don't think I've ever looked at an election, but this is also, I'm like probably a point of privilege too, where I've never taken anything any pol- politician has said like seriously in terms of like, oh, I really think they care about this or yeah. whatever it is. I've always looked at things as like, oh, this person's voting record or what they tend to do when they mm-hmm. are in office, like, or what like I can look at as something that like, Oh, this is what someone's actually done. Yeah. And like, you can see common themes of like where they kind of like will put their weight behind certain things and knowing that anyone that's been in politics has made dirty deals, has made compromises to get other things through. And that's my focus. I'm like, I'm just assuming anything you're saying, you're not, you're not speaking the truth and you shouldn't be because you should be speaking to get elected. So it's like, I come from a place of assuming that everyone's lying yeah, because that's just how it works. But that is a, that is a point of privilege yeah. because I feel like, I mean, most people like our education system doesn't teach you how to be critical of politicians at all. Yeah. Like they don't teach you what to look for, like how to even look up somebody's voting record or yeah. like how you'd want to like do that. follow the money. Like how yeah. do you even determine that you just hear what people yeah. say and then people take that for granted because it gets thrown around like these sound bites repeatedly totally and like i mean with the internet the way that it is now like it's so hard to tell what is an actual source of truth yeah like a fact versus it's online does that make it true yeah or, you know and a lot of these things it's like you look at some of these websites that look so fucking official mm-hmm. and you're like, this is bullshit. Like yeah. this whole thing is bullshit, but it's made <laughs> to look so, what are you laughing at? I'm just laughing at the fact, no, no like this is a hundred percent true. And I'm laughing because I fell for like the fakest thing online the other day. And afterwards I was like, am I an 85 year old that's like never used a computer before like just something where you know we all what did you i think click on? i think all of us think that we're like oh well i'm you not can't be duped yeah yeah so not only was i duped like you're gonna hear this and be like what the fuck's wrong with you i will just like preface this with i was really tired like i was just kind of clicking around on the internet and i got this like video that popped up and it was like oh this dog like a video of this dog that like um, it like never stopped growing, like something about calcium in the Are bones. Are me right and now? And so he ended up being like, I don't know, what was it like, four hundred pounds? And so I've it's like, seen that photo yeah, of course, picture. of course. And like, it was intended to be clear, intended to be a joke. Like it's like a satire video. So this isn't even something that's like a oh I fell for this. You. Like I fell for like a joke that everyone else was like perfectly clear was a joke. And I was like, I can't fucking believe like. This dog's huge. How would you get right now? No. And then I like showed it to someone at work and they were like, oh, that's funny. And I'm like, can you imagine? And they were like, star, you know, this is a joke, right? And I was like, oh yeah, totally. I totally knew that was a joke. I was just saying like, wouldn't that be crazy if it wasn't? And that's really embarrassing. I really feel like I saved the situation until now. And now everyone knows what a goddamn idiot I am. I mean, I guess people do fall for that kind of stuff. It's yeah, but, like, I always think it's people. It's not me. And then to fall for something that wasn't even intended to be fallen for. I'm just a real gullible piece of shit. I don't know what to tell you. 
I mean, I think that it's like, it's not that you're a gullible piece of shit. Like, I mean, you are, but (laughs) you're like, to be clear, you are. That's just not the point. (laughs) I think that the, the internet like gives you this false sense of security. It's like, you know, I look up recipes on there and like trust that the recipe I'm going to make is delicious because it has a pretty picture on it. And usually I get to it and I'm like, what do you mean I need 17 cups of milk to make (laughs) this fucking cake? Like, that's wrong, internet. But you have, I mean, you just trust that it's going to be fine rather than like, I don't know the last time I bought a published cookbook. But you know, they're legit where everything else someone is just randomly putting that and they're making a typo and then they're like, oh, you actually put 17 cups of milk in that cake? Yeah. Well, it's your fault. It was such a milky cake. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, that's the thing. Like, people don't really digest curated news as much as they used to. Partly because the curated news is a little bit of bullshit. And it's it's boring. It's boring and it's the same sound bites on every, like, every single news thing ever. Like... Have you ever watched the news for like five hours straight yes and it loops yeah and you're like i've heard this story so many times why are we there's got to be more news than this i know that happens to me because i i don't watch the news too much but i listen to the yeah news i have it on in the, the background and i listen to it sometimes on my commutes and if my commute is really long in the morning it like basically repeats the news Every half an hour to 45 minutes, it's the same thing. Like, literally the exact same story. Don't so worry burglar. about it. <laughs> It'll be fine. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. But my fiancé, I forgot fiance. what I named him. Um, what was did his... he ever have a pet? He did, but I can't remember what its name is. Let's just name it. It was a black poodle. Let's call it Boodle. Boodle. <laughs> My fiance Boodle. <laughs> Boo. That'd be a good. That's good. Um, he watches all of the like videos from the late night talk shows in the morning mm-hmm. on on YouTube or however they're replayed, and it's usually you know Trevor Noah and the like one with the guy who used to be with Colbert Stephen Report, Colbert. yeah, who which is what late night now or something, yeah. and all those people. So it's. It's Seth Meyers. Like, mm-hmm. there's several of them. And then also, like, the Saturday Night Live stuff. All of them use basically the exact same punchline jokes about everything really? that happened the night, the day before. Like, it's all the same news with the same, like, jokes and punchlines, just, like, slightly different. Mm. And I'm like, what is the point of watching all of these consecutively, like, You're with the same, the same joke. I'm yeah. like, it's even worse when it's a joke. Like, you already heard the joke. Yeah. You don't need it again. I have a question. Does Boo laugh at every single one? Ever? Um, I'm not gonna say no, but <laughs> <laughs> it's... Sometimes I'm just like, didn't you just hear that? But he also is not a very good listener. So you're like, I just heard that ten times, but he may have just yeah, heard that. Yeah, he may for the have. First it, sometimes time. it takes him ten times to absorb something that's being told straight to his face. Well, I it's get a good it. thing he doesn't listen to this podcast, so he won't know I'm talking shit oh about my it God. right now. I feel like we should start dropping Easter eggs just to see who in our should life I, like, does future announce my pregnancy on here. Oh my God, <laughs> you should, and then just see how many people are like, Oh my God, Brandy's so happy for you. I will. I'm totally going to do that just so I can test It'd my be friends. It'd really awkward for you to announce it today after all this drinking. I'm not pregnant. Hopefully. 
anymore. <laughs> it's a little rough. Well, whatever. It's not Alabama. It's hillbilly justice. Oh, fucking hate. I Poor did Alabama. love. Yeah, I I know it's too soon. Slash every other state that's like trying to follow suit. It's fucking unbelievable. Like daily, I'm encountering something political that I'm like, is this the fucking world we live in? It is. This and is the daily. World the world is like yup. But it is so, I mean, I cannot even begin to express the extent to which I do not want to get into an abortion conversation right now, but it is so interesting to see how divided people are, and I bet this book would be, like, a subset of people that disagree with us completely, and it's, that one's a really hard one for me to get around. I mean... I'm gonna take a big sip of my wine... As I say, no more. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think that, like, again, that this book, like, does a really good job of helping to humanize people that you otherwise would be like, what the fuck are you thinking? Yeah. You know, like, when you can not necessarily be like, oh, I see where you're coming from, but be like, I see that you are a person and your opinions are valid, even if I completely disagree with you. Yeah, and I also... I feel like now I'm going to start saying bitchy, controversial things, but I do think... You did just take a big sip of wine. I did. You like, prepared. things have changed. I was real nice before, and now Star has taken a turn. Um, there is a bit of, like, you read and you're like, oh, I get it. Like, your life experience is different, and, you know, government doesn't operate the same way in some of these places as it does in bigger cities, so it, it, the way we experience it and the way we perceive government, very different concept. However, I do think there's also an element of, like, you only get so much credit for, like, growing up in these provincial towns and having never been anywhere else. I'm not saying that's your fault because a lot of that has to do with poverty and opportunity and there isn't much here. But Mm -hmm. there is also an element of, like, well, a lot of these people are very poorly educated and they don't actually get to see... what's going on in other places so that's all that they know yeah so you can understand why they believe the things that they believe but it doesn't make it okay it just means like why are we allowing these parts of our countries to just wither and die because that's what's happening yeah well i mean i think that that gets into like the fact that the way that our country is structured is just fucking weird Mm -hmm. and like it was a group of states, like it was a group of independent states that basically only banded together to be like, get the fucking British out of here. Yeah. And <laughs> goddamn then, redcoats. Yeah. I mean, and then afterwards they were like, okay, so we're going to go back and be states still. Mm-hmm. And the federal government was like, well, we're just going to like chill here for a little bit. Yeah. Like we can spend some money and stuff, but we like can't actually tax you. So we're just going to exist here. And then the federal government, like, really the only reason that it, like, even started in the first place is because they were fucking in debt. And they were like, we should probably learn how to tax people. And, like, let's give them representation because that's how you tax people. And, like, that's how it all came to be. And so we have an entire country that exists with these, like, strange division of powers between states and federal government. Mm -hmm. And, like, if we were like other countries where... You know, the provinces, like, yeah, they have their own rules, but, like, they all kind of fall in line under, like, the larger central government. And the states don't necessarily have to do that, but that's not what they were intended to do in the first place. 
Well, yeah, it is really interesting. And then you get into this element of like, could we have a civil war again? Because fundamentally, they're probably half of the states in our country feel like states' rights should supersede, you know, federal rights. And that's a real... Bummer. (laughs) It's a real bummer. But it's like... (laughs) It's a thing, and I mean, that's even something, like, circling back to the really exciting topic of abortion. Like, I've communicated with people where they've said, like, I actually do think it should be a woman's right and all of these different things. Like, they agree with the concept, but then their argument is, but I believe it should be the state's decision and the federal government shouldn't be telling states what to do. And I'm like, well, interesting thought that's how slavery is a thing yeah but okay like it is i guess there's a lot of different ways you can look at these things but all i know is everybody's wrong but me drink (laughs) (laughs) i mean i think that like that's a good point but one of the challenges of having states where like you have basically free border crossing you have the exact same currency like there's no checkpoints you have to go through getting from state to state and yet you have like something legal in one state that's not legal in another state just means you're going to have people driving to another state to like do this. Yeah. Like, or like, you know, back when like liquor laws were different and like you could be 18 in one state and like 21 in another state and you just have all these young kids like driving over the border, fucking getting drunk and then driving home drunk back to their state where they're yeah. not allowed to drink. Like it's, it's just like a strange, like, I, I mean, sure. States have rights. I get it. But at the same time... But it doesn't change anything. Like, it doesn't actually mean, well, people don't drink because you outlaw liquor or people don't get abortions because you make them illegal. It's just you're forcing people to make more dangerous, complicated decisions when you create laws that are different from, like, one town, one state, one hour drive away over. It's like the marriage laws, you know what I mean? Like, marriages are decided by the states, but it's like when you get married in one state, the assumption is that it's going to be honored by all of the other states in the country because that's the agreement that they have. I mean, I guess we don't have to really get into this, like, big abortion conversation, but I think when you're trying to talk about states' rights, like what happens is that because you have denied rights to the people in your state, the taxpayers in another state have to now fund the shit that you've like done, which is not fair to the states around you. Yeah. And I do think like, I mean, we should probably like exit this, whatever it's on highway, but there is an element of like part of the reason we came up with, you know, civil rights and like we had to decide like these things should actually states weren't behaving properly exactly (laughs) like we had to decide that actually these are our fundamental rights that should go above what any state or federal government is trying to do and those are federal rights it's like everyone in the u.s is entitled to those rights and they are supposed to protect us from things like this so it's not like oh well if you happen to be living in the state of alabama you don't have the same individual human rights that like someone living in California does just because of like these arbitrary differences in states. Right. So like all I'm saying is I'm right and everyone else is wrong. And I don't know why people just can't get on board with that. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a divided country. I remember I was listening to something relatively recently and they were talking about how 
like conflict isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like people having these like vehement disagreements about like what is right and what's not right. It's not a bad thing. Like that's how people, that's how countries grow. That's how like people grow mm-hmm. is conflict. When you, when you have like a fundamental belief that the person that you're dealing with is like a rational person that has the country's best, like, um, best interests at heart. Mm-hmm. And I'll circle back to that point, but they were talking about how during like the big civil rights movement, like Martin Luther King went to Alabama because he knew and like Georgia and stuff, because he knew that in places like that, he was likely to get like beat up and Mm -hmm. like the people that he was protesting with were likely to be abused. And like, because there was TVs at the time, like he could actually go in those places and be like, here are all the civil civil liberties that like, as a country, we can agree are important. And as black people in certain places, we do not have at all. And like, Mm -hmm. here, watch this happen. Because had he done these kind of protests in like, you know, fucking California or like New York or whatever, like he probably would have gotten some pushback, but their legal system, like their police would have supported them enough to like not fire hose them in the streets. Right. Necessarily. I mean, you'd like to think that, but like, the idea is that by going to these places, you can call out the fact that if you believe in an America where people are just and have equal rights, then you can't allow this in certain states. Like, mm-hmm. states' rights don't supersede human rights. Right. And your rights as an American. And so part of, like, his justification for doing that kind of stuff was, like, because there are some things that are greater than states' rights, even if you believe in states' rights. Mm-hmm. Um, but circling back to the point that I was making before that I don't remember what point was that (laughs) I don't know but I concur (laughs) I feel like I was on a roll there you were I mean I feel like that you just made a great point with your MLK reference too anyway but I you get the point I I get the point I do think all of these things I mean that's part of why we read the book right is because it's like trying to understand like how can rational people think so differently from me because not that I think I'm rational, but like I, I aspire to be, Yeah. but it is something where I find that very challenging when you're having a conversation with someone where you think you're a good person. I remember what I was going to say now. Say it. Don't so it did circle it. back to that about like when you're having a conversation with someone, it's okay to have like strong conflict with them. Mm-hmm. And the, um, analogy that he gave is like, if you are in a family and you all really love each other, then you can have like all out screaming fights with them, Mm. but it's not going to dissolve your family. And conversely, like if you, if the love is gone in your family and you have an all out screaming fight, like you could just fucking, your family could fall apart. You can get divorced. That would like break you. It would break you. And so the polls recently have shown that, I think it was like 46% of Americans believe that their fellow Americans don't have America's best interests at heart in the way that they make their decisions. And that's up from like 15% in like the late 70s. That's interesting. Which is scary. I mean, I think that like if anything else, like that's frightening. Yeah. You know? It is. But I, it's like, I kind of see, like I kind of see that when I look at America, I'm like, you don't care about America. Yeah. It is. It's really difficult to, like, that's something where I actually don't, I mean, since we're here preaching to our own choir, I'm like, everyone who agrees, or agrees, 
Disagrees. Well, yeah, thank you. Wine. You know what happens. <laughs> Everyone who disagrees with me is wrong, but actually when I encounter people who disagree with me or who I just immediately am like, oh, got it. Like, you're one of those. Like, I don't engage in these conversations mm-hmm. and not for any reason of being like, oh, I just want to, like, keep the peace or anything like that. It's just I... If I'm honest, I'm like, I don't have any respect for you or your opinion, and I don't think it's worth my breath. I don't think it's worth me trying to have this conversation. I know neither of us is going to change each other's minds, so, like, why bother? Like, I don't want to get into it, and I feel like that's even worse than this mindset of, like, oh, like, we can fight. We can, like, get into this. Like, will we stay together or won't we? It all depends on, like how much like love and respect is there. I just feel like I'm like, I don't even care to have this conversation with you because I've given up on so many people so much. The love is not there. And I'm like, this will break it. Like every time I feel that way. So, well, my ex who was from Texas, all my exes, Rocco, let's call him Rocco. That's a great ex to have dog name. Yeah. Um, I remember having, we used to get in fights all the time because he was like fiercely Republican. And I wouldn't say like fiercely Republican, maybe he was like fiercely conservative and yeah. a Republican. And often a byproduct of conservatism. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, we, I mean, we like loved each other, we cared about each other a lot, and we got along pretty well most of the time. But like, occasionally, I mean, we had we survived up to the 2016 election, we would have not survived past that. Oh, yeah. But. At the time, like, when there wasn't, like, a lot going on politically that I was aware of, we would still have political conversations. Mm -hmm. And I remember talking to him about, like, if Texas were to say they were going to secede from the union, would you stay with Texas or would you stay with the United States? And he was like, I would 100% stay with Texas, like, no doubt in my mind. Interesting. And I was like really Mm -hmm. like it fucking boggled my mind but i also think some of those states people have such an affinity for because they like feel like they've been there for generations and their state has some history like we live in a newish state yeah and like even though i've i'm like a fourth or fifth generation californian my family's been here for a relatively long time i have no fucking like i'm like california is great but if California was like, we're leaving the United States, I'd be like, that seems like a strange fucking decision to make. <laughs> I'd have to weigh my options. You know, it wouldn't be like immediately let me pick California. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Because like what other state would you do that for? I don't. The thing that's The only hard, states that could maybe survive are California and Texas, to be honest. I was just going to say like. If California was like, I'm leaving the U.S., not even for loyalty reasons, but I might be like... It would make well, more sense. I, I, I'll hedge my bets, and yeah. I think I should stay with California. Well, that's where the um, wine is. Exactly. Could you imagine <laughs> Star without California? No. I mean, I could move to another country, I guess, but like, that's one thing that I think is really unique and interesting about the U.S., and I was in Europe recently, and it was funny like talking to people there, too, and how they were saying... like oh, you can just get on a plane and in an hour you're in a totally different culture and a totally different place and there's a different language. And it actually made me think of the fact, I'm like, that's kind of how it is in the US too, where like you change states and you could be changing countries. And like you aren't, it's the same country. But I mean, perfect example in New Orleans, like 
I feel like New Orleans, when I first got there, was more foreign to me than most foreign countries yeah, I've been like, to. Yeah, it was like, yeah, I agree. I was like, is this really the U.S. still? Because I... <laughs> All the signs are in, like, French-ish. Yeah, and <laughs> ish being the operative term. But it is, like, it's just, it's totally different. And I think that, like, I've been... I've been to West Virginia. I've been to Kentucky. I've been to Tennessee. I've been to these places... I've obviously live in California. I've been on the East Coast. I've been all over the U.S. And it is not the same. It is totally different. And it makes you realize, like, how different you are. And what I thought was interesting about this book is it also reminds you of the ways in, like, sure, a lot of it's different, but actually we are still very similar. And there were certain things reading it where I felt like, oh, I can see myself in that, or I can see things that are true of my family and this family too. And I think there's a lot of value in that because we do focus so much on the things that are like obviously different and obviously easy to like get into and fight about. But I think people quickly overlook the stuff that actually makes us the same. And there's a lot of shit that like, unifies us but we never talk about that stuff that's true like the fact that i am also all about hillbilly justice and like (laughs) you are all about hillbilly justice well no but like reading about his family and i was like this is like my i mean just one side of my family but i'm like this is a hundred percent my family which is like loyalty to your family over fucking everything and like it doesn't matter if they're right or wrong like you have their back and like I was like, you can I... fight like cats and dogs among yourselves, but if anyone tries to come in, it's like, yeah. Well, even this, there was this moment where I'm like, my mom, like I remember getting yelled at from my mom when I had said something, probably to you or like one of my other friends. Like she overheard me talking shit about my sister to one of you, <laughs> and she was like, you can hate your sister as much as you want, but you don't talk about your sister like that to other people. And that was an exact, like yeah. almost direct quote to something that happened in this book. And I was like whoa that's real where it's like yeah like that could have been an objectively shitty thing your sister did and you can feel that way and you can scream at your sister and punch her in the face if that's what you want to do but you don't mention to anyone else that you don't like your sister Uh uh-uh not in or outside of my house and i was like okay hillbilly mom (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean, there's something to be said about hillbilly justice. I think it's weird, though, because I feel like in the United States, there's just, like, overarching, like, American narrative Mm -hmm. that doesn't apply to everyone, and it's, like, the wrong narrative to use to, like, unite the country. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's, like, part of, like, what's so fucked is, like, the American narrative has become this, like, you come here and it's a land of opportunity and you, like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and then you can be successful. But that's, like totally disregards the fact that it's like generational success that tends to happen yeah and like the way that our country has like succeeded is because these like communities of people have basically sacrificed everything for their children to be successful and then their children's children tend to be successful and also individualism individualism where but it is like that's a real thing like other countries actually have a much like broader sense of like you owe something to your country or yeah. you do what is for the greater good. And the U S is actually pretty unique in feeling like you do what is best for you mm-hmm. and like you try to get ahead for yourself. And that is actually kind of abnormal 
But like that's part of the American dream, right? Is like you yeah. can succeed and everyone's operating in their own yeah. self-interest and like capitalism works, you guys. It is like fiercely individualistic. And I feel like once you embrace that, it's really hard to look at the world any other way. Like I feel like I'm a pretty selfish person. Mm-hmm. And if I lived in another country, it would be like easier for me to embrace being like around family all the time and like wanting to have a family of my own and like being, you know, supportive and all those other things. But I feel like because I live in the United States, I have this like weird complex of like both feeling obligated to have like loyalty to family and also being like, fuck all of you. I'm just going to pick up and move and never talk to anyone (laughs) again. And I'm not like saying that like to be a dick. It's just like, it's like the the country and like the whole culture I grew up in supported a way where like the dream was to just pick up and like make it on your own. Mm-hmm. And I think that it made it seem like that's a fucking realistic thing that a person can do when in reality, like, it's like that's you can't really survive hard. without yeah. a community. No. And like you said, a lot of people's success is like who came before you and who made it so that you had the opportunity to, to succeed. Usually yeah. your parents, usually communities that came before you if you just kind of showed up and you were the first person on this land it's not likely that like you were a great success it's like you set those kind of building blocks for the next person I'll also say like nothing makes me feel more quintessentially American than traveling to other places like I feel like I always get in this mindset of oh everywhere else in the world is just better than America and I'm not disputing that I mean up for debate depending on you know what you believe i'll debate you on this yeah but anytime i go somewhere else it takes me about five days to be like holy shit i am american as fuck like i just the modern conveniences yes it just really starts to come out of me too like i just am really like i just don't realize how aggressive i am i don't realize how much i'm like what you are saying doesn't make any sense. Like that individualism type of shit starts to come out where I'm like, nope, like I don't like this. Like what is this kumbaya bullshit? Like by the end of it, I am just like shoving French fries in my mouth and I'm like, take me home country roads. Yeah, I can see that. I feel like the hard, like there's a lot about other countries that I really like. Mm Mm-hmm. But I feel like I'm too old now to leave because the convenience of America is just, like, fantastic when I live in the place where I live, where I can get my groceries delivered and Amazon Prime can deliver, like, same day. Yeah. And, like, I don't don't really have to leave my house if I never wanted to. And my water is, like, clean and hot for the most part. I can, like, climate control my apartment. My car is roomy. Yeah. Elevators are roomy. I do, I do think like the personal space is respected for the most part. (laughs) They like make these things so that we forget how bad other stuff is. But I do think like, it's funny how like, and not, this isn't true of every other country. Like specifically I was in Europe most recently and I'm just like, wow, could the people walk any goddamn slower? Like (laughs) just stuff like that where I'm like, get out my way. But then I'm like, Oh, like people are just not in as much of a rush. Like it isn't a rat race here. And actually this is better. But like, 
being in other places makes me feel so like this is not how it is where I'm from. It's hard because I feel like I like right what you're saying, that's preferable. Like mm-hmm. I would much totally. rather live in a space where the world is not like constantly asking something from you. Like you can live and like I feel like one of the things I had a conversation with someone when I was in Italy years ago and it was like when I was still in college and I was telling them about like what my degree was and like mm-hmm. what I wanted to do and like the impact I wanted to make. And I was like asking them like what they wanted to do. And like, they were how like, are you going to make the world better? And they were like, I don't know. I'll probably just like have a job and like have a family and like be happy and like hang out with my friends. And I was like, what a strange ambition. <laughs> and now I look back and I'm to like, be happy. The fuck. I'm like, wow. But I look back and I'm like, yeah, that was probably a better idea. Mm-hmm. Like, when you set yourself up with that kind of expectation, like, of course you'll be happier because that's attainable. Yeah. And now, like, if that's what your goal is and you can get that goal and you're not like, what is my greater purpose? Like, in America, you're, like, taught you need to do something spectacular in order to be valuable. something no one else has ever done. Like, you have to, like, earn your keep, right? Yeah. Ew. Yeah, and there is this sense of, like, you're so lucky to be born in America that you have to do something to deserve it. And I'm like... Can I deserve to immigrate to somewhere where they don't work as hard so that I have more time for this podcast? I feel like if I could make a living, like, working at a coffee shop or even, like, owning my own little coffee shop or, like, wine bar, 100% that's what I would do with my life. 100%. But I can't, like, you can't, I don't, one, I don't know how to do business because I was never taught anything entrepreneurial. (laughs) But two, like, I don't feel, I feel like that would almost be, like, frowned upon by people that I know like oh that's what you did you know yeah it is just I mean I remember living abroad and like having friends that were baristas and I was like look at your beautiful goddamn apartment how do you afford this like yeah I mean people doing this job in the U.S. are barely getting by and not that they don't like not that they should be living like that but that's just the way it is here and it's like oh well Like, people, like, we need baristas. Like, we need people that do all of these jobs. And, like, people should be able to do, like, what they're best suited to do. And I'm like, that's fucking true. Yeah. But, like, there's so many things here that just, like, even, like, consider, like, when you go to a store and you're just like, God, customer service is just not what it used to be. And I'm like, of course it's not. Because everyone doing customer service now is making minimum wage. Yeah. Like, probably it's not, working more than one job. Stress the fuck out. And people are mean to them yeah, all the time. And it's like, you aren't like, oh, I'm in this job because I love working with people. You're like, I need this job to survive. Where, like, 20 years ago, it was like, people worked in retail or, like, hospitality because they were like, I love working with people. But yeah. Now you have to figure well, out, like, like, what's the best way I can make a living. Yeah. yeah. But, like, people don't respect people who work in service jobs anymore. Yeah. I do because yeah. I've worked in a service job. And I'm like, it's a hard fucking job. And there's nothing wrong with, like, an honest day's work. Like, yeah. if if you're a waitress and you're a good-ass waitress, like, you can difference. do anything. And honestly, like, you make much more of an impact in service jobs. You make people much happier. You give much more satisfaction than you do in any of these kind of corporate jobs where you're, like, writing emails Think about the times where you're, like, the most happy. I Mm -hmm. will, like, of all the times I'm the most happy, it's probably when someone in the service industry has done something exceptional for me, Mm -hmm. like, bring me a delicious meal and give me a new glass of wine before it was empty or, like 
brought yeah. me a drink when I'm sitting by the pool and like been like, how's your day going? And I'm like, you're great. Yeah. Those are my most happy times. Totally. Or when you've done that for someone, they like really appreciate it. And you're like, I just really just feel like as humans. Yeah. I just really feel like a human talking to a human right now. And I feel like we're all very humanized by this. Ugh. Maybe that's a problem. People don't talk to each other anymore, circling back to your earlier point. <laughs> yeah, people definitely don't talk to each other anymore to the point where, like, we were so afraid to join a book club that we had to make an internet book club. But I think it was the right decision. I do, too. This we're talking right to people. They're just not talking back to us. But that's life, man. Much success. Much success. But, like, talk to us on the internet, please. <clears throat> yeah, please. So, um, next week, I think we're staying on the southern seam, southern theme I, the southern theme i like what's happening next week we're staying on the, th- the southern <laughs> theme. hold on let me try again next week we're staying on the southern theme wow you got it reading where the crawdads sing by i don't remember delilah owens delilah owens i don't know if that's true that just came out of my mouth you're really trusting me for how drunk i am brandy's googling it don't worry Oh, yeah. Oh, my right. God. It's I actually am... Delia Owens. Well, it should have been Delilah. There's the first mistake. It's Delia Owens, and I can tell you a little bit about her before we dive in. Let's... This is her first fiction novel. That's She's all we written... get. She's written, like, nonfiction about nature. Okay. I can um, get behind that. I just feel like I'm, I'm in the mood for Southern books. So that's what we're reading next week. Get ready. Hopefully, it'll be a little bit less political and more, like, just talking about nature and crawfish yeah and hopefully we'll have a drink theme i wish they had a beat of strawberry right now maybe they do we should look it up it's a like spring drink from like february to or like january to april or you're right we looked this up recently didn't we god damn it we gotta go buy some in bulk somewhere i'm sure we can find it well maybe before next week we'll have some a beat of straw but if not we'll have figured out the poor man's version of that just put some strawberries in like regular wine or beer yeah both all right we will be lit at that time and right now always xoxo (laughs) star Before I go to bed, I love reading books. I love reading words and the way the pictures look. I love to eat a good dinner that my mom cooks. After I eat dinner, I love reading books. Yo, I love reading books. Yeah, I love.